You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 293. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this podcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra presence to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic is my favorite go-to drink in the morning, and I love it so very much. Four Sigmatic has a bunch of different varieties of superfood elixirs. So they mix in mushrooms that have superfood potentials for you and other superfoods as well into things like coffees and teas and mochas. And as you guys may know, if you listen to the show, I am a huge proponent of the mocha flavor. The green box is my go-to source. It has chaga in it, so it's nice that I'm getting these other benefits. And if you're not someone that loves coffee, or if you are, but especially if you're not, I usually was a tea drinker and I still remain a diehard tea drinker, except for Four Sigmatic. Every now and then I'll do a latte at the cafe, but what I notice is the huge difference between Four Sigmatic and regular espresso or coffee. There's half the caffeine in Four Sigmatic, no jitters, no crash, and no stomach issues. So those are the things that I always notice when I do decide to have a latte, even here in Australia, with amazing espresso. They have such a great game here, but I prefer Four Sigmatic, and I love that they have the mocha flavor, so it sweetens it just a bit for myself, just with hot water. So just mix it in, and I'm good to go. If you want to try it or other Four Sigmatic drinks or elixirs, you can go to foursigmatic.com slash lively and use the code lively at checkout to save 15% off your order, whatever you choose to get. I hope you love it as much as I do. Now let's move on. I am in Sydney and you guys, I'm having all the feels right now. I'm recording this intro and outro and next week's intro and outro for Joe, our podcast producer. Hi, Joe. He is actually going on vacation soon, so I wanted to get this ready for him. And also this will make my life a bit simpler as well because this is my last week in Sydney. Next week, the movers come or the removalists, as the Aussies call them, will come and they will pack up my stuff. If you're curious on what's happening, with my Sydney apartment and the Sydney stuff and how that all flowed and unfolded for myself as I make my move to Detroit, Michigan. You can go over to last week's episode to hear about the move and how this has all flowed in a really amazing way that my mind could not have prepared for or have planned. So it's been continuing to unfold in a really fluid way and I'm having all the feels, so many feelings because this is me sitting in my little closet (laughs) in Sydney, sitting on the ground on a pillow and an Ikea blanket, like I usually do with a little candle. And I have my computer propped up in this little cubby that's like basically my pajama shelf. And this is how I've spoken to you guys since I've been here for basically on and off through the year. And it's just, I can tell my body is ready for this transition to go back to some kind of stasis, some kind of, you know, stability. And it's it's time to go home. And yeah, as you guys have heard from a few episodes back, what I never imagined was that home would be very alchemisty, <laughs> as people pointed out, that I'm going back to Michigan, back to where I grew up, but to a new city, not where I grew up. So I'm going to Detroit rather than to Rochester, for example, where I actually grew up, or Ann Arbor, where I went to university or also lived briefly after my time just before selling my furniture. So yeah, it's a amazing journey. It's about two and a half years now since I sold the house in Ann Arbor. And I thought, you know, Sydney was the base. But as you guys know, and have heard all those details, that was not what the universe or my inner being had in mind. And 
it has me going back to where I started or 45 minutes away from where I started. So yeah, it's just, it's not just like, oh, I'm moving from Sydney back to Detroit, but it kind of feels like this entire two and a half, three year journey, which might as well have been 22 years. I feel like I've been living in dog years with the amount of countries and experiences that I've had that have constantly shaken up any patterns or routines that I could have created. The constant movement kept unfolding me in new different ways. So anyways, yeah, I'm feeling a lot of different things, but let's move on to today's show, shall we? So today's show is a Q&A episode. I asked you guys for questions on Instagram as I usually do when I do episodes like this, and you guys sent in some great ones. So we're gonna talk about how to connect with the inner voice, of course, a popular question, and some interesting things around season five versus season four, Jess. So we're gonna talk about the season five approach to life and how these perceptions work alongside the season four topics like manifesting, law of attraction, and much more. We're also going to deal with love relationships in the no mind way. So how do I approach love and relationships in the season five perspective rather than the season four perspective you've heard about in the show previously. And also we're going to talk about dealing with close connections to depression and many more other subjects as well. But those are some of the big ones that we're going to discuss in today's question and answer session. Let's go to the show. Okay, my friends, let us do a Q&A. So here are the questions that have been submitted. We'll start with Emily E. Fryer, who said, I've been hearing my inner voice more and more, but something is stuck within me. How do I move forward? Well, it's great that you're hearing it more and more. I'm not sure with the question as it's written how to help you with what's stuck, because I'm not sure what's stuck within you based on this. But in terms of moving forward, start asking the inner voice for small steps. So what kind of place should I go to for dinner tonight? What should I order on the menu? What nail salon? I know this is so silly and sounds so stupid. Stupid, but I will tell you that the inner voice in me will t- sometimes guide me on little things like even like what salon to go to for nails. And weirdly, my mind has the audacity to, on the very small things like a nail salon, rebel and kind of go, I don't know why I shouldn't go to this one. This one looks fine. I'm going to go here anyways, even though the mind knows that the inner voice is directing me elsewhere. And for whatever reason, I've been two or three times finding out later on after I've gotten the manicure why that place was not the right place. I didn't enjoy the manicure. It wasn't great service, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, start with the small stuff. What are you going to eat on the menu? Where are you going to go to eat? Where are you going to get your nails done? Whatever little things you can use, start on the small things and then watch the outcomes. And when I mean that, actually follow. Take the advice of the inner being. Don't rebel against it. But even if you do rebel against its answer, you may find out later why that was the answer it was giving you. And it'll just give you more experience and perspective so that when you look at the bigger things in your life, you may also have the courage to follow it there as well. Now we have Amanda Olmstead who said, do you have any updates or insights on healing your vision? I am still unfolding with that. My vision is not needing to be healed, if you will. I feel like I did an actual sight thing with Jacob Lieberman in Hawaii, who's the eye person you've heard here speak on the show who regained his eyesight 2020. I'm at 2030 or 3020, whichever it is, just off of 2020, most of the time if I'm in good lighting. So I don't feel like I have any real negative things to worry about. I don't know. I've just really adapted to it too. Otherwise, I can just say it doesn't bother me. I don't even think about it. And if anything, I can tell you, your eyesight is incredibly malleable. No matter what you think, no matter what, 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 what you think, because I had negative four glasses and contacts, so that's not a light prescription, may I say. I thought I could only see a certain distance for a certain clarity. 
BS, as I have now lived over a year off without them, like, no, 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 that's not true. It just takes time for your eyes to adjust and your consciousness to release what I believe is possibly, like Jacob says, negative emotions that had to do possibly with the sight being possibly limited as well. So and now we have Beauty Collective who said, do you consult your inner voice on every decision, even trivial ones? Well, like I said, sometimes I get direction on a nail salon, a cocktail to order, or food to eat. Most of the time, I just do what it says to do. Sometimes I rebel and I don't do it and I choose with my mind. And then I later, like I said, end up finding out why. A very small, trivial one as an example, in addition to nail salons, is my birthday. I was with a friend at Sketch London, which is a great, awesome restaurant, and there was cocktails, and I have only drank like once or twice this year, but I decided on my birthday that would be the second, I just felt like having a cocktail. So as I was looking at the menu, my eye went to one, I forget which one it went to, but my inner voice basically went to one, and then I proceeded with my mind to scan the whole menu, and I picked one that had mezcal and roses in it because of the roses, but my inner voice was not telling me to get that one, but I saw the roses in, and I was like... Who are you to tell me what I want? I'm 34. I want roses in my cocktail. Well, that cocktail was like so strong. It was kind of like almost the equivalent of getting an old fashioned with mezcal in it. And that was not at all that tasty or enjoyable. And I didn't even end up finishing the cocktail. So inner voice point mind zero on that one. What does a day of flowing actually look like? Says Beauty Collective as well. A day of flowing for me just looks like doing what I feel called to do in the present moment, moment after moment after moment. Now, I may have something on the calendar to do, like a meeting or meet up with a friend or something like that. In that case, I would flow with that in mind. But even interestingly, today, I didn't feel like going on a walk with a friend that we had plans for. I was kind of open to if I really didn't feel like doing it, saying no. But in the meantime of like, oh man, I don't really know that I feel like going on that walk today. And I'll see if I really don't feel like doing it. I'll give it a little more time because it didn't feel so obvious that like maybe in a few hours I would change my mind. I was just kind of like on the fence about that feeling. That friend actually emailed me and asked to reschedule. And I was like, oh, brilliant. I'm glad that they said something because if they had shown up and I didn't feel like showing up, neither of us would have been there for the right reason. So it was beautiful that he had asked to reschedule because then I didn't have to go either. Next question, Shannon M. Funt said, how do you know when to take action on something, whether it be an inspired work idea or what's for dinner? You know when to take action on something because it feels like the thing to do next. That's what I would say. Okay, so your mind thinks, your inner voice feels and knows, okay? So the mind thinks and rationalizes, the inner voice feels and knows. So you do it when you feel like doing it, when it feels like the next thing to do. My little walk example, I didn't feel like going the walk, but it was also 4 p.m. was when the walk was going to happen. This was like 9 a.m. when I didn't really feel like it, but it didn't feel so clear that I needed to immediately message the person and cancel. But I love that by 1030 that morning, they already canceled on me. So you do it when you feel like doing it. Christy Owens says, I don't know if No Mind and LOA are separate stages, but to work in tandem, what are your thoughts? Okay, law of attraction is like gravity. This is not a thing that's not happening. Just because I'm no longer focused on season four Jess' way of manipulating law of attraction doesn't mean that gravity or the law of attraction doesn't exist. So what I'm saying around law of attraction versus no mind is that the human mind of Jess Lively, 
I'm trying to let that perspective of what is the best outcome take a back seat to my soul or higher point of view vantage self. So I'm looking for the inner voice, the soul, whatever higher aspect of myself that exists. What I'm allowing is as much as I can for that part of myself to use the law of attraction in its will. So in the Our Father prayer, I grew up Catholic. I don't know about anyone else, but Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done. Okay, so let me translate that to you as I understand it now. Our Father being our soul, our consciousness, not our collective entity that is all that is that everyone shares. I believe that our soul or whatever you want to use that term for, that our consciousness is an aspect of all that is. So if we want to say the word, I don't even love the word God, but let's just say like the word universe or whatever. (sighs) These words are so limiting, but let's just say that what we used to think of as the word God instead of a man on a chair up in heaven with a beard. Let's just call that consciousness and let's call that source energy as Abraham does. And let's say source energy is a mirror. So like there's like one giant mirror that is source energy, that is that consciousness. If you broke it into a million little pieces, each piece of the mirror reflects light, just like the mirror does as a whole, but each individual piece is a piece of the mirror and is individual in its own right. So to me, the Our Father isn't the same piece of mirror that we're all quote unquote praying to. We're not praying to the same Father, but it's the same source. Okay, so we have the big mirror and we broke it into a million pieces. I believe that each of us, as we are in our minds, is connected to a fragment of the mirror. That would be what I call our soul. So our soul is a fragment of the big mirror. Now it is a piece of that. It is essentially connected to that whole thing, but it's not about looking for the whole thing to look out for us or give us guidance, but the part of us that is us, that is that mirror, is what we're looking for guidance for. So our father is like our soul, which is, in my analogy, a way of looking at is imagine consciousness that reflects light and is light, is a mirror that broken into a million pieces. I am saying our father, my soul, my soul, my little fragment of the mirror who art in heaven in the non-physical realm, how will be your name? So I'm saying I'm paying homage and respecting as the human identity of Jess Lively that eventually is going to die and be a past life of this soul. I, as Jess Lively, the mind that's going to die eventually, is saying, hey, soul, this fragment of the mirror that always exists, it's experiencing itself through me. Hell be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So my soul, hell be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done in this realm as it is in the non-physical. Now, here's the thing. As humans, we have free will. As the human mind and persona and entity that we are, Jess Lively, Christine Warnick, Stephen at Valley. I'm looking at the people on this thing. Jillian, Jay-Z, Liliad. (laughs) These are all the people on my um, Instagram feed right now. All of us are just little characters, like persona, the egoic mind characters of these souls, these fragments of mirror. We all, as these little characters in the simulation, (laughs) as our little sims, we have free will. But the big shift that's happening is going, thy will be done. So we are abdicating our free will to our soul's will. Not to some giant father sitting on a throne, not to someone else's soul, 
like sitting next to us, not to our father's soul, not to our president's soul, not to anyone else's soul, to our own soul. We as the entities, these little fractions or aspects or facets of this larger self, we're allowing that larger self that we ultimately are, that always exists, that never not lives, we're letting that part of us work to and through us as the little self, as the mind, as the human. Michael Singer's surrender experiment is a great example of this. But when we say no mind and law of attraction, I'm letting my soul, the fragment of the mirror or the inner voice, have the free will. I'm giving my free will to the will of the higher part of myself, that the mind of me, that my mind cannot understand necessarily what that desire is because my mind can only think, but the inner being of us knows. So I want the knowing part of me to take the lead rather than the thinking part of me to take the lead. So in that, getting out of my mind as much as possible or the perceptions or preferences of the mind and allowing the higher aspect of myself with less resistance in the mind to whatever that might be to take the lead. So law of attraction is still happening. I'm just not trying to let my mind get in the way because I think the mind of me could have an idea of what it thinks it wants, but I think it's far smaller than the plan that my own soul has for this body in this lifetime. So that's my really interesting, we could do a whole episode on that, but that's my thought on that. Okay, now we have Tess Bethune who said, what does enlightenment mean to you? (sighs) Great question. To me, enlightenment means a relatively consistent, pervasive, felt experience of the awareness and consciousness that we are to living through the inner voice's point of view. So instead of the awareness and consciousness that we are being hogged by the mind and being directed by the mind and all of the energy going into the thought life that the mind has, that it flips. You know how on the show I talk about in this client sessions that we're kind of like bobbleheads and we can bobble up the neck and the awareness up into the head, into the mind's thoughts or down into the heart or the gut space of the inner being, the inner voice. What to me enlightenment is, is the switch from the bobblehead neck being stuck up at the head that it bobbles down and it stays predominantly down. So the felt experience of life is predominantly lived through the perspective and point of view of the inner being rather than the mind on a consistent basis. But that doesn't mean the mind doesn't exist. It just means that the mind's no longer the animating energy hog, thought hog, awareness hog that it is to this point of most people's reality. Okay, so now we have a... Tranter who said, do you have any courses or places you recommend for someone who wants to coach in the future? I don't have any coaching courses. No, I don't. I do have two classes that I'd recommend, the Evergreen courses being C-School or Flow with Intention Online. You could go to cschool.io or flowwithintentiononline.com to find out more about each. Chelsea Warnick asks, does your intuition answer you if you ask it to tell you specific foods to eat or is it always more general? Chelsea, I usually if I'm at a restaurant, the first thing that my mo- I, I tends to go to on the menu is usually what I order. And I think that's kind of my inner being most of the time directing me to what to eat. But if I'm in my kitchen, I'm not usually asking. But if I wanted to, I would. And I think I remember in London, though, it recently kept saying with the chocolates that my friend gave me for my birthday, it kept saying only one, only one, only one, one at a time versus like four at a time. So I listened to it. And I only had one. But otherwise, I'm not usually getting specific things on that. But it doesn't mean I couldn't ask if I had questions. The Julie Daniel said, why did you switch from intention to presence in the podcast intro? Ooh, good question. 
Intention to me had previously been about the mind making the intentions up. So the human egoic mind making intentions. So for me, presence is about speaking to the consciousness in the inner being and subseding, like I said earlier, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not the little mind's will. (laughs) So the little mind's will to me is a lot about intention and that is how it's resonated for me and how I've used it in the past. So I just want presence where it's like inner being, you take the lead. Let's do what you want to do rather than what the little mind wants to intend. Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with intention for other people. That's just why I changed it for me. Um, Jillian Lazy said, have you ever dealt with depression? Not necessarily personally, but with clients. I have had a partner who had depression and it was an incredibly, incredibly difficult thing when it was felt for that person in an incredibly deep way. Oh my goodness. It was so scary kind of and sad because I couldn't help them. Like I could read about depression. I could read about the ways that it could be helped. I could read about how great exercise was, but I couldn't exercise for that person. I couldn't think for that person. I couldn't feel for that person. Eventually, the only thing I could do when that person wanted to explore options for possible medication was that I could do my best to find the best person for them to speak with that had the best point of view overall that aligned with their values. So that was the most I could do. And it was incredibly difficult. That's what I can say about that. Lilad asks, if thinking like a blue is less effort, how do you still manifest like a yellow thinker? Okay, so it's not blue. Blue would be a much lower level of consciousness, but I think you're speaking to turquoise. So if turquoise is less effort, how do you still manifest like a yellow thinker? I don't manifest like a yellow thinker. To me, the yellow thinker manifests through the mind. The mind, the egoic persona, the small self, the thinking mind chooses what it wants and tries to manifest what it thinks it wants. The manifesting like a turquoise thinker is abdicating the choice to the soul or to the higher self or inner being, inner voice, whatever you want to call the aspect of you that doesn't die because even though the egoic mind will die, the part that doesn't die, letting that part manifest through you, even though you're still living life on earth as the thinker that thinks from kind of a yellow perspective. The Gathering Kuai said, how do you talk to your inner voice without someone else asking the questions? Oh, I ask the questions. Now, when I say I, it's the mind asks the questions to the inner being all the time. And it's just whatever the mind doesn't understand, it asks for clarity. I being the mind. And it's so interesting when we say I, I'm so hyper aware of this now and still forget it often too. When we say I, 99.999% of the freaking time, we're speaking to what the mind is thinking, but that's not really what we are. (laughs) So what I think shifts is the I is no longer identified as the mind. It's just like the mind has this thought, but it doesn't mean that So the mind asks questions to the inner being, but I'm identifying right now as a non-enlightened person as what the mind thinks. So I'm just so used to and lazy and unconscious about the fact that the mind isn't real, that whenever a mind thought crosses the path of my mind, I assume that's me and I have that question. And so I, identifying as the mind, ask the inner being, but really it's just the mind asking the inner being. And truly I am the awareness of both the answering entity and the asking entity. 
It's kind of like where the trilogy, the I am, the awareness that has no thoughts, the mind, egoic persona, and the master, inner wisdom, the inner voice. So there's the three of us all living together. Talk about a schizophrenic situation, right? But that's what I really think. So how do you talk to your inner voice? It's just the mind is asking questions to the inner voice that it has that doesn't have clarity on. That's how I do it. Meyer Lemons and Fig says, is there another way to listen to intuition besides word feelings? How about through thoughts, ideas? Well, words and thoughts, I'm not quite sure the difference with what you're asking there, but inspiration or visions or feelings definitely could be done. You can perceive it in many different ways. But when I'm working with someone, I'm usually asking them to interpret what they're experiencing in a way that we can describe and work with. So I often ask them for the words and feelings because then we can interpret it. But it's all frequency and it's coming through however it's coming through for someone. So it's not about it being just words or just feelings, but it's about interpreting what the information that's coming through is in a way that we can work with practically in the human realm. Okay, so now we have Maria Jones 812 who said, how has your new season five, Jess, shown less resistance in love relationships? Ooh, great question. So season five, Jess, has shown way less resistance to love relationships, like way less. And what it looks like is if my inner voice says no, I don't question it. The mind might question it, but it won't go against it. Just like I said with the cocktails, (laughs) if it says no to a cocktail, I'm just not going to order that cocktail. The mind of me may not know the reason why that partner or that situation is, you know, not right. I don't question it anymore. And if it does tell me to do something in terms of like pursuing a partner or doing something with someone, then I do. So it's basically not letting the mind make the calls, but letting the inner wisdom either verbally or through knowingness tell me what the next step is to do around relationships rather than me thinking about what the partner needs to be like and choosing the partner from the mind and all that stuff. I don't do that anymore. Julie Baxley asked, what is your favorite takeaway from reading The Power of Now? Favorite quote or idea? Oh, there's two that come to mind. One I say a lot on the show, your mind needs problems to give it a sense of identity of sorts. This is normal and it is insane. I love that one, that we're all in this normally insane state of being. And also there's this part in the relationship chapter where someone asks Eckhart, so the whole point of having a great relationship with someone else is having a great relationship with yourself first, right? That's a very common thing you hear about in relationship stuff. And Eckhart cuts through the whole thing. I think this is like the most clear (laughs) part of the whole book. He said, the fact that you have a relationship with yourself is the cause of all of your problems everyone's thinking, oh, no, I can get a great relationship if I just love myself first. (laughs) How many Instagram posts have you seen that or some version of that on? Oh, my goodness. He goes, no, the fact that you have a relationship with a self is the root of all of your complexity and problems. When there is no longer a self to have a relationship with, that's when all problems go away and you can have the perfect relationship with anyone. The fact that there are two of us, I have to have a relationship with myself There is an I and a relationship with a self. That's two when there's only one entity. I said once that duality, that faux perception of reality is removed, that's when every problem you have goes away. Not just perfect relationship. No, that's like the root cause of all problem is the fact that there's two when there's really only one. So I love that idea too. That just like clarifies. It has nothing to do actually with relationship. It just shows the core falsehood of all of this stuff to begin with. Now we have Ronnie Day who said, how do you get over somebody you love deeply and keep a friendship? 
Well, okay, first of all, you don't have to get over someone you love deeply. I have a friend that's going through a deep breakup right now. And she was saying, you know, it definitely is the right move for her to be making. And I'm really happy as her very close friend that she's making this choice for herself because the relationship was no longer in support of either of them in a deeply positive, profound way. But she was feeling like she needed to stop loving all of the good times that they'd had together. And I said, well, that's definitely not necessary. Anything that you've had with someone, the love and appreciation for that person does not ever, ever, ever need to go away. That's like the last thing to do, to block love that happened or block yourself from the appreciation of beautiful things that have happened in your life. No, but that doesn't mean that you don't move on in love and appreciation to what's right for you now and in the future. So it's about including alignment that was beautiful from the past to be a part of the love that you hold, but it doesn't mean you need to live in the past. Are we living and dwelling on our past? No, but it doesn't mean that the future is right to continue with that same partner. So actually, I remember from my college boyfriend to my former partner, I had a beautiful, it was very difficult to learn how to have a beautiful, peaceful unfolding in relationship because I had never seen anyone else do it in the way that my college boyfriend and I had. But I loved and appreciated all of the time I had with that college boyfriend and had so much love and care for him, but at the same time knew deep down at a cellular level that we were no longer right for each other to go forward. And that wasn't even my call to make at the time. That was kind of more inspired by his direction, but my own spiritual deepening in that phase allowed me to see that what was right for him had to be right for myself as well. There's no way the universe would give one of us a breakup when the other one wasn't as aligned with that same breakup. That makes like zero sense to the universe that one person really needs to be with the other, but the other person really doesn't need to be. No, no, no. That's not how that universe, the universe wouldn't give one what it needs and the other withhold. It's what both need. One's just allowing of that more than the other at that point in time. So when we broke up, me and the college boyfriend, and then I quickly met my next partner, he heard me. I didn't go all the time, but I think it was fascinating for him because I tried not to dwell too much on the previous partner, but I never held or hid back the fact that I deeply loved and appreciated the time I had with that previous partner. And at the same time that that might have been seemingly to the ego of the you know, Mr. Lively, the new partner, it might have seemed a little bit weird for him. That would only be his ego mind that would have ever, ever, like he didn't really have an issue with it, but I think it was unusual because most people hear about their exes and like, ah, they were terrible, blah, blah, blah. I definitely knew that it was no longer right for us in the future, but I definitely appreciated and still had deep care for the previous person. And it was actually so clearly evident that it was no longer active in my vibration now going forward with that next partner, but that it was still positive from the past, that even he wasn't threatened at a deep level at all about it. It had nothing to do with him. He knew it was just a phase of my life that was right for me at the time and was no longer active, but also that I wasn't withholding any love or appreciation from the past as well. So in terms of for yourself, I would keep that in mind. You don't have to get over someone. It's just about allowing yourself to be fully in the present now reality and find that if, let's say, it's the other person that decided it was right for them to leave, that you allow them to have that alignment within themselves and you trust, just like I said, that the universe is not withholding from you and giving to another. 
what is right in a deep aligned way for one is right in a deep aligned way for all. It's the same mirror in different pieces. What's right for one mirror is never not right for another in terms of this kind of love type of a relationship. There is something new for you out there too to explore and uncover, but the mind in the human form may not be allowing that to be true for itself and may be resisting it, blocking itself from its own light and its own love. And in that case, reconnecting with your own light, your own love, and your own inner voice around love and next connection for you is what I would suggest. Do some deep inner looking within your inner voice about guidance on this situation. Now we have K.P. Hay who said, in your work, how do you balance between surrendering, flowing, and making commitments? Well, I shared the other thing earlier about the friend with the walk, wasn't really feeling the walk, but wasn't quite sure yet if it was time to actually cancel on it or not. But to me, surrendering and flowing means that I surrender and flow to my alignment and trust that my alignment, again, is not negating someone else's alignment. I don't believe that if someone is truly in their alignment, that that ever hurts another person. True alignment is not egoic selfishness. It's not about hurting another person. I think that there's this perception, go back to Spiral Dynamics episode if you want to understand these colors I'm about to say, but I think a lot of human minds tend to hold the belief that if they do what's right in alignment for their inner being, they're going to actually go down to the red level of consciousness on spiral dynamics, which is like taking advantage of another human or doing something at the detriment of another human. But this is not the same level of consciousness that we're speaking to. That is actually, let's say it's a birthday party, okay? So social engagement. And you've said you're gonna go to the birthday party for this friend, but you really don't feel like going. Like there's no part of you in the deepest knowing of your knowing, of your knowing, of your inner being that you feel like going. Maybe you're sick, maybe you're really, really depleted from a really long week and you have kids that have been sick or there's something going on and it's just not right for you. And you know this at a deep cellular level. The mind will try to talk you into going and sacrificing yourself for the benefit of the birthday girl or the birthday boy in this case. If that birthday girl or that birthday boy actually feels bad, now let's talk about this as an adult, right? A little child may not have this realization, but an adult, like let's say your uncle, your aunt, your friend, whatever. If they actually decide that their birthday is ruined because you didn't show up, who is actually being selfish? The person that didn't show up because they deeply knew it was not in their alignment in their soul to come? (laughs) Or is it the person that said, I can't be in alignment if you don't come to my party? Who's really being selfish there? The person that didn't feel like coming and chose to align with themselves? Or the person blaming someone else for how they feel at their own party? Obviously, it's the selfish is actually in the opposite foot. We as humans tend to believe like in your house, if you have clothes on the ground versus someone else, if the problem is in the other person or is the problem in you, if the clothes are on the ground, whoever perceives it as a problem is the one where the problem exists. If it's in the deep alignment of the other person to follow whatever they're doing, it's not that they're going to go be horrible humans. It's just a misperception in the mind. And often people have seen lower levels of consciousness exploit other people. And so they say, well, anytime that I listen to my own alignment that might hurt someone else, that could be horrible. But really, 
has nothing to do with a higher level of alignment. Your inner being is not going to lead you astray. Your inner being is not going to lead you to exploit someone else. Your inner being is not going to lead you into something that's going to hurt the totality of all that is because it's connected to the totality of all that is. And if someone's upset by you being in your connection to all that is, they're upset, they're disconnected to their own totality of all that is. That's all that means. And you can have compassion for them in that state because you too have spent many times in your own life in disconnection to the totality of all that is and blaming other people for it. So it's just like they're doing it just like we have done it before ourselves. We don't need to blame them. We can have total compassion for them because we know how that feels when our egos get in the way and the egos try to force other people to bow to our own preferences. The inner being doesn't need anyone else to hold a preference. It just needs to be where it is, knowing all is well. And that's what it continues to do. And sometimes it says you don't have to go to that birthday party. But the mind then makes up a whole story about why you need to so that the other person's mind doesn't get upset. Meanwhile, both inner beings are both fine with whatever happens. Either way. (laughs) Wow. Sorry, guys. This is uh, flowing in some interesting ways now. Now we have Stacy Firth who said, how do I know when I'm hearing my intuition versus mind? Your mind is not usually very peaceful and usually has a fear-based agenda. Your inner being is peaceful and knows all is well. So choose between which voice, which frequency is the answer you're getting, which way? Is it coming from fear or is it coming from peace? That's how you know. By the way, your inner being might be peaceful about it and the mind may not be peaceful about it. So the mind might still have a little point of view or perspective about the answer you're receiving, and it won't understand why it's saying to do something, but the voice that's actually giving you the direction will be of peace. So the mind might have its own fear around following what the peaceful voice says, but the peaceful voice will be the one giving you your intuition's guidance. Now we have Anna Banana Joy who said, why don't feelings of joy and community always result in manifestations of material abundance? Why don't feelings of joy and community? Well, I think that they're not necessarily connected. So joy and community doesn't necessarily mean material abundance. They're different feelings or different experiences. That doesn't mean that one is better than the other. It just means that they're not necessarily the same feeling or same experience. So it's not, that's like saying, why doesn't um, having a snowblower always result in having mode grass. Well, one's for snow blowing a snow driveway and one's for mowing the lawn. (laughs) They're different things. They're both things that you use in your outside of your yard, but they're for different purposes. So they're not necessarily connected. They both feel good. They both serve your yard in different ways, in positive ways, but they're different. Eggplant234 said, how does someone with a full-time job and family manifest an abundance of time in their life? I would ask your inner voice. I don't know your life experience. So for me to give you anything, it would be the mind in Jess Lively does not know the answer of your inner being. But your inner being knows your life exactly. Your inner being knows every detail of your life and every detail your soul would like to give to you. (laughs) So you need to look inside of you. No one else, not even another person with a full-time job, not even someone else with a family. You don't need to ask any other human on the planet. No other human, e.g. plant, two, three, four, no one else. Not Susie Orman, not Oprah Winfrey, not Barack Obama, not Jess Lively, not Gary Vaynerchuk, not anyone else. No one else knows 
no one knows. You know why? Because they're all minds that think. They don't know anything. They don't know anything. You know why they don't know? Because they're minds. They minds only think. So your mind doesn't know either because it's a thinker. But your knowing part of you knows what's right for you. No other knower even. No other, like Oprah Winfrey's inner voice. She might be able to tap into what your inner voice knows to be true for you, but really... That's abdicating your own inner being's presence in your life, which is there to serve you in this exact way. So that's how you do it. You ask inside of you because no one else knows because anyone else would be mostly asking or answering from their minds and their minds don't know, but your inner being does. Now we have Nikita Nupani said, how can I manifest a business idea? I would put it out there to your soul, your inner being, and say, I'm looking for a business idea. If you would like me to have one, may your will be done, inner being. (laughs) So make it abundantly clear what kind of business you would like to, if you would like to have a business through me, let me know. Let me know. Make it very clear and fun and easy and flowy and abundant. You could put whatever other things on it you want, but I would say that it's about allowing the idea to come to you and through you rather than created by the mind. Because the created by the mind, I mean, unless you wanna play the yellow level, and if you do, then I would say flow with intention online might be really fun for you to explore if your inner being says it's a fit. But otherwise, if you wanna try it turquoise, I would say allow the idea to come to you, but just be open in terms of uh, looking with a mindful open eye to like what's showing up for you and what seems easy and flowy at the time. Vegan Sunflower Girl said, how present are you in your life? How often do you guide yourself back into the now and how? Oh, I don't even know how to answer that. How present am I? 62%. I don't know how present I am. More than before. I can say that. More than before. How often do I guide myself back to the now whenever I notice? How? By breathing. I just take one deep breath. And then I like to feel the tingles in my hands and feet often. So that's kind of what I do. Deep breath and hands and feet. Feel the tingles. Uh, Melody Welding said, why do we create resistance to the things we want? Oh, great question. Okay, so when you say, why do we create resistance to the things we want? All right, like I said this earlier, what me translate what you really are saying? This is where Eckhart says, this is normal and it's insane. Why do we create resistance to the things we want? What that really means. I love that I can say this, guys. Why does the mind in us create resistance to the things the mind in us wants, okay? So it's not we. When you say we, that means you're identified with the mind to the things that you want. You don't want it. The mind wants it. You're just aware of the mind wanting it. You're the awareness that hears the thought and feels the desire for the thing. You're just aware of the resistance and the desire, but you're not the desire and you're not the resistance. You're aware of them. You're the awareness of the fact that there's resistance and you're aware of the fact that there is a desire. But the we that you're saying, this is where Eckhart says it's the problem is the fact that you have a relationship with yourself, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's the mind. Why does the mind create resistance to the things it wants? The mind is a thinking mechanism designed to keep us safe and protected. So why does it create resistance to the things that it wants? Because it thinks that if it doesn't have them, it won't be okay. It won't be safe. It won't be happy because happiness is being okay and safe. So every time it decides it wants something so it can be okay, safe, and happy, and it doesn't have it, it has resistance because it's not doing its job properly. 
right? Because it wants to keep you safe, happy, and protected. Well, if it doesn't have it yet, then it's feeling like it's doing a really crap job at keeping you safe, happy, and protected. So it's not that you are creating anything. It's the mind creating the desire to keep you safe, happy, and protected by having the job or the outcome or the house or the property or the body image, whatever it is that it wants. It's so that you can feel, you being the mind, the mind being safe, happy, and protected. Of course it has resistance. It feels like it's doing a crap job if it doesn't have it. It's failing when it doesn't have it yet. So it has resistance to failing. It feels bad when it doesn't have what it wants to keep you safe. It's not doing its job. It doesn't feel like it's doing a successful job when you don't have it. Why does it do that? Because it wants to make you happy, even though it's not needed to be happy. It's just trying really, really hard to do something it can't always do because it can never solve the uncertainty of the future. So no matter what it's deciding it wants, it can never ultimately control it in 100% of the way it would like to. So whenever it doesn't have what it wants, it creates resistance because it's trying to do its best to keep you safe, happy, protected, and keep you away from an uncertain future that always exists. Nothing wrong with it. It's just the way it is. And as we are motivated by it up and down, up and down, up and down by this constant fluctuating emotions that it creates, that's where we find the exhaustion. Because our awareness is exhausted by the jump rope going up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. It's getting seasick from all of the striving and trying that the mind's making. Your awareness is what's getting tired of watching the emotional turmoil of the mind so completely taking up all of its attention. But when you start to bobble your head down, bobble the awareness down to the inner voice that is peaceful and is stable and is okay in the uncertainty of the future of your life, then you start to get your bearings. You stop feeling the experience of being seasick from all of the resistant emotions and desires that come from the mind. Zero eight, as you said, can you elaborate on your mindful eating practices? You mentioned it in a coaching call, but it wasn't clear. Oh, well, I had eating issues for nine years, under eating and then overeating for about half and half, so four or five years of each. And eventually I got out of it by deciding, this is before I knew most of everything I teach you guys now, but or talk about now, but I was in my mid-20s and I decided I wanted to eat what I wanted to eat until satisfied, until my intuition was satisfied. So I started listening to, I guess, what you call your inner voice, but I wasn't asking it questions about like, but should I eat an apple today <laughs> or should I eat this apple? I would eat as I intuitively felt. So I used feelings rather than words to guide me. And I remember the thought crossing the mind that said, well, if I eat intuitively, then I will never eat ice cream. I don't know why I had this resistance around this thought that my inner being would never let me eat ice cream. So to get over that fear, I ate ice cream every day for like a week or two. I don't remember how long I did it. For a while, I was eating ice cream every day, but I had a small bowl and I had a small spoon. And what I did for the first time in nine years is I would eat it one bite at a time in full awareness for each bite until I hit the set point of satisfaction. I had to even learn what that feeling even felt like after nine years of ignoring my inner cues. But once I felt satiated and satisfied with the ice cream, instead of binge eating it out of the carton so that the calories didn't count <laughs> to the insanity of the mind, if anyone else has been there, know exactly what I'm talking about. The calories out of the carton don't count. They only count if they're in the carton, or sorry, in the bowl. 
Anyways, I would eat until I was satisfied, and then I threw the ice cream that was remaining away. The bowl was always small, so it wasn't a lot of ice cream, but for me to learn to listen to my inner being instead of a bowl determining how much I consumed, that was life-changing for almost a decade of my life. And that was me learning how to do, I guess what you would call mindful eating, was learning how to feel the satisfaction point. And then that bled into being at a restaurant. And I remember for a long time at that period of my life, I also started splitting meals with my partner at the time. He liked to happily aligningly split meals with me. So we got to share things and that felt good too. But now I don't have to worry. Before there was a period where I would go to like, I don't know, Olive Garden in college and would eat until I felt so sick to my stomach that I would put my legs up in the air so that my stomach aches would go away. That's how little I paid attention to my inner knowing of when enough was enough. But that is obviously totally shifted in a beautiful, wonderful way. For now, I wouldn't even have to think about the discomfort of eating to that point. But that's just how unconscious I was or how much I repressed the inner knowing to the mind's control. When I let go of the mind's control and just listen to the inner cues, that's when everything shifted. But it started with those little bowls of ice cream. So if anyone else is in a similar situation, I can only recommend that you find some type of food where you bring it kind of, I guess I could call it now like a meditation. It was just bringing awareness to my inner cues and when I was satisfied when I'd had enough from the deeper place rather than my mind. Now we have GL Grick who said, it doesn't seem to me like season four Jess is incompatible with season five Jess. Can you speak to your evolution? They're not incompatible, but season five Jess is way more laid back. (laughs) That's what I would say. And she thinks less. Like season four Jess would do rampages of appreciation for an hour. She loved it. Season four, Jess loved doing the Rampages of Appreciation for an hour. If I didn't feel like doing it back then, I didn't do it. I loved doing it until I got done with it. You know what I mean? Until I was done, until I was ready to be season five, Jess, which wasn't ever on my radar. I never thought I would be season five, Jess. I never thought I'd want to be season five, Jess. But season four, Jess thought a lot. And she thought about how much she appreciated things a lot. And she thought about how happy she could make her alignment or her emotional set point. Now, season five, Jess kisses a lot of things. <laughs> like my, this is so weird. My facial oils and stuff, I really have a beautiful lineup of products that make me truly happy. I have like Youth to the People and Herbivore and some other stuff I really love using. And I noticed that I kiss things, like I kiss the bottles as I after I use them every day. <laughs> Season four, Jess wasn't kissing stuff, but she would be thinking, oh, I appreciate this bottle and how beautiful the design is and how great the stuff is naturally created and blah, 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 blah. I would think like, I don't know, 400 words about stuff instead of just kiss it. So that's kind of a difference. She thinks less. She's more laid back. She doesn't care if she's out of alignment so much. She trusts that her inner being has got her back and she just lets things come through more than she cares exactly what happens next, I guess. Now we have Caitlin Cat who said, human design and manifestation, your thoughts on it and what are you in human design? I have been exposed a little bit to human design. I know a friend who's into something called the gene keys. I do not feel personally like exploring it. That's all. But it doesn't mean it's not great and people aren't enjoying it and that I have friends that are into gene keys and stuff like that. It just didn't feel inwardly like something I needed to explore. So nothing wrong with it. Just didn't feel like my inner voice felt like doing it. So I didn't. Uh, Bunny Brooklyn said, how can you maintain a high vibration while dealing with grief? My dad recently passed. 
Well, I don't know that you have to maintain a high vibration while dealing with grief. I think that grief may not be at the highest vibration, but allowing yourself to go through the emotions that you're in without resistance to them is the best way to maintain the best well-being. So the best well-being may not be to be at the highest vibration or be at resistance when you're at low, but to allow all things to pass through, to pass through, to pass through. So what I would say is instead of looking at maintaining a high vibration while dealing with grief, you allow all emotions that show up for you fully to be felt and fully to be released as they move on. It's the resistance to having them or the resistance, let's say, I've seen this too with people with grief, where you have massive amounts of grief and then maybe even rather quickly into a week or two later, a few days in, whatever it is, you have a moment of elation. And the mind forgets about the grief briefly for whatever period. The mind can often create a story of guilt and shame for not remembering to be sad or not remembering that your dad passed while the elation or the positive vibration set in. And then it drags you back down to where it thinks, quote unquote, you belong to be right now. Even in those high vibrations or the low ones to allow them all to exist but not get stuck. That's what I would focus on is allowing them all to come through, but not allowing anyone to be held back or maintained past the point of pressure. When it's time to move on to another emotion, allow it to move on. That would be my suggestion on that. Anonymous says, how does one deal with serious regret and shame? Your inner voice does not hold on to regret and shame. Only the mind does. So I would write to your inner voice about what the mind is regretting and shaming and find the inner voices answer to that. Any of the season five client sessions will help you see how to do that for yourself. All right, now we have K.L. Schaefer who said, will you be hiring for any new positions on the new chapter of TLS and beyond? Possibly as it unfolds and I'll be sure to share here on Instagram, most likely possibly here on the show, but Instagram's such a direct and faster way for me to communicate with you guys that I tend to do things there quicker. So it may never even hit the show, but if it is needed, it will be shared. Now we have Emmy Destineva who said, first thought on waking and last thought at night. I don't know. I don't think I pay that much attention. I just like to feel my tingles in my arms and legs in the evening. So that's probably not a thought, but the last awareness that I have. The first one probably is reflecting on maybe whatever dream I just had. I don't know, maybe something like that. I don't have any directed thoughts in the morning or at night. I'll just say that. Golden Door Photo said, do you consider your beliefs to require faith? Well, I think beliefs inherently require faith because they're beliefs. (laughs) So any of them to believe them require faith because their beliefs are not facts. So I think, yes, they would have to require faith. C. Flynn162 said, recommendations for tapping into your passions during your 20s. Listen to what makes you excited and go do that. Keep doing the things that make you excited. Laura Wooten Studio said, how do we dissolve jealousy in comparison through the power of now? Well, the dissolve the jealousy in comparison is the bobbling from the head down to your inner voice because your inner voice doesn't ever feel disconnected or jealous or comparisoning itself to any other aspect of all that is. So I would say it's just about a shift in your perception from the mind's point of view to your inner voice. So I would do inner voice work and write to your inner voice about the jealousy and the comparison. What does it mean? Why is it there? How can I get rid of it? How can I see this differently? How can this guide me? What is this guiding me to next? Those kind of questions would be the ones that I would ask to find clarity. 
Hey Harp said, my intuition gives more than one word concise responses. Is that normal? I think any answer is wonderful. So if you get concise answers, great. If you get more than that, great. You don't need any more than one word. Like I got the word host and I shared that last week's episode. I got the word host, but that meant without needing a million words, exactly what I needed to know. So it's about being able to communicate with you in the best way possible for you to have guidance. But often people discount one word saying, oh, I only got one word when that is by far not necessarily a bad thing. It's just the way and the brevity Wisdom is not necessarily long, (laughs) so it doesn't need to be long in order to be wise or to guide you. But if you get more than one word or you get a paragraph, you get a book, great. I think the biggest thing is don't let the mind make a story around it being right, better, or more right or wrong than anyone else's experience. That's, I think, the big thing to be cautious of, or not cautious, but like to be aware. Of course, the mind will want (laughs) to compare itself to other people's inner voices, but it's ultimately not necessary. Catch a juice. I don't know how to say this one. She said, How do I ask my inner voice questions without losing the bobblehead? Keep trying, whatever you're getting. Um, and you've, if you listen to more season five client sessions, I'm not sure how many you've listened to, but you're going to get a sense of it. You can even project yourself, pretend that I'm working with you when I'm working with the client, and then try to do the questions that you need to ask as I'm asking and holding space for the other person. But ultimately, it's just about practice. Hillary Biggert said, best tips for getting into alignment and flow. I'm just starting with this journey and would love your insight. Well, a flow with intention, if your inner being feels it's a fit, might be really fun for you. If you're just getting into flow and alignment, that whole course has so much awesome stuff on alignment and flow that I can only tell you it's incredible. And the content is probably right up your alley. But otherwise, it's just do things that make you happy. It's not more complicated than that. But if you want 117 hours on those subjects, then flow with intention might be fun for you and going into more depth. But basically, tips, do what makes you happy now. That's it. Steph L124 said, how to know when it's your intuition or when you're overthinking something. Intuition doesn't overthink. Intuition knows, your mind thinks. So if you have a knowing about something, that's what you know. And if you're thinking about something, then you don't have a knowing yet. There you go. If you're thinking about something and overthinking about something, then you don't have the knowing. Just keep seeing what happens next. All right, last question. By Erica Marie said, any technical advice on starting a podcast? Any courses for the technology portion that you know of? Yes, Pat Flynn's podcast tutorial. So Google Pat Flynn's podcasting tutorial. It's the tutorial that I started with and I always recommend people to start with. I don't give any podcasting advice or details because it's not my alignment or flow or calling, but Pat did such a wonderful free guide that I can only recommend and I thank him so much for creating such a wonderful resource for everyone. So that's what I would suggest you check out. Thank you guys so much for all of your questions. I'll be doing more of these Q&As if you still are enjoying them in the future. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find me on Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter, you can find me at Jesse, as in coming back to Michigan lively. And for show notes for this episode, head over to JessLively.com slash November 2018 questions. That's 2018 questions. So November 2018 questions. Now for where I'm headed to next. Oh my goodness, you guys. Next week, I go back to Detroit. So until then, I'm going to be enjoying as much as I can of Sydney and all of the things that I love here and the warm weather, the warm weather. It's just getting into summer here. Until next week, may something wonderful happen to you today. Today.